Ladies and welcome to another episode of the History of the Bay podcast, sponsored by the good people of Amoeba Music San Francisco, as well as the folks at Dying Breeze San Francisco. Also got to shout out my folks at Derby in San Francisco. My folks, the Class Acts, man, right on for all the gear and all the support. Today, behind the lens, we got King Said. On the boards, we got DEO. And another special guest, you know, we just keep bringing the heat with the guests. If you don't know who this next man is, you're about to find out. But trust me, you're going to want to hear his story because he goes deep into the roots of this bass shit and the music industry as a whole. And I'm talking about the one and only Gary Archer. Man, I appreciate it. Come on, man. Man, this, first of all, it's such, such an honor to be on this show. Um, unlike many people that jump into this thing, this show is special to me in my heart because of why you got into it. You you didn't set out to do a podcast. You know what I mean? You just said, fuck, I want to show some love for some Bay stuff that I know. And it started to go crazy. And you're like, you know what? Let me take this a little longer form. So much respect because I, I know where you come from trying to do it. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing fucking show. It's the history of the Bay and you got your boy Gary Archer live. Well, I appreciate that, man. Let's go. And um, it means a lot coming from you because you've been a supporter from day one. And we've worked on a lot of stuff together. And you've definitely uh, helped me get the word out there and give me some game and inspiration. And it's always a pleasure building with you, man. Man, it's a pleasure as well. My favorite part, figuring it out. That's right. That's right. And it's a well-deserved for you to be here because you have so much history. You have so much so many stories to tell, so much you've been a part of. But as we always do, let's start at the very beginning and tell everybody where you grew up. I grew up in San Francisco, California. I went to James Lick Junior High School, went to McAteer High School. That's where I grew up, and that's where we first got our taste of hip-hop. You know what I mean? My first taste of music is my dad. My dad, rest in peace, Ray Archer, Sugar Ray Archer, um, played guitar. And as a young kid, he all, he always had a band, and he was in a band called Grandma's Basement Band in San Francisco, a band with him and Carlos Santana when it was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Your dad was in a band with Santana when they were teenagers. When they were teenagers in my grandma's basement, and it was called the Grandma's Basement Band. Goddamn. That shit crazy. And, you know, he was fucking with Bill Graham and them back then. I didn't know nothing about it. I wasn't even born. And so, like, he was deep in the game. You know, back then, Fillmore was popping this the um Winterland was there's something called Winterland that was popping, you know, and and was that was that the Moscone Center? It, it might have been, but it it was like a yeah, a festival that was like, you know, like like what we call now like big festivals. It was something like that. And they did mm-hmm. something at Gogain Park is okay. that was big, Bill Graham. <clears throat> and so always been around music my whole life. My dad was like a rock and roll blues guitar player, and my mom was just a waitress. You know what I mean? Mother and just crazy mom grew up with my brother. And um I remember our first time being infected by hip-hop was a movie called Wild Style. Yes, sir. Um, One of my favorites. So as at the time, there was there was no hip-hop circulating around the streets. Like It was like Def Leppard was out and funk music was out and disco was out. At the, at the school dances, there was bands. Like at James Lick Junior High School, there was bands at the dance. Like, like that's how OG I am. It's, that's still 1983, 84, right? It's not even that long ago, but it was. And it's this movie come out, and me and about 30 friends, Repo Dan, Jazzy Jim, my brother, 
a bunch of us go on down. It was off mission. They were showing it. And it was like, we all went down there and it was the first time you seen so many kids in a movie just quiet. Like we were just blown away at what we were watching. Like, what the heck is happening? And, you know, we when you're from nothing and you see other people from nothing and you see them creating something, you're like, wow. Because no one ever told us, you know, like our era, it was like no one told you you could be artistic. No one told you that you could dance. No one could do that. That ain't, that wasn't the play. The play was you go to learn some sports or you go to school and be smart or you learn a trade. That's That was the play. There was no like, bro, you want to do what? So this movie inspired a lot of people. A lot of my friends that were there, this Doug one was there. Like a, a lot of a lot of people think King Tech was there. Like a lot, his name was Wizard at the time. So like a lot of people was at this thing. And it, like I, all at the same screening of Wild yeah, Style. And, and I, I think that's, not that, I mean, it really sparked, like, for two days, we were just, like, tripping. And then after the movie is, like, that's when my brother turned into Jazzy Jim. And it was because we formed a breaking crew called Breakers Incorporated. And that had Repo Dan, me, this guy named Jess Finesse, my brother. Talking about Charles? Yes. Yeah, he just came up on our last episode with Twig, founder and- of the ICP crew. So, yeah, exactly. So these are my early childhood friends when we see this movie. So we start this breaking crew and we start practicing at Day Street, Day Street on 30th and Day Street. That's where like they had like a gym. And then that's when I met Jonas from Wash House. Shout out to the homie, Jonas. 12 years old, he 12, maybe 11. And we were playing this monster game called Heat. Anyone, you know, youngsters never been outside back in the day. It was like team tag. It was like, you got a group of my 10 against your 10. Here's the jail. You got five minutes to break. And then we had to go find them. And then like, that's, that was our early. And then we were breaking there too. And we were just like, fuck. And then our first thing was, we need to go make some, we seen them making money. So we were some of the very first people to be a fisherman's wharf. At this time, that's when my, my brother was like, we, he needed to be the DJ because we needed music. And, and that's when we started finding music, places like um, Soul and Disco Records, Creative Music, places like this would have not a, not a big selection, like maybe Ice-T, The Glove, uh, Beats and uh, beats and Rhymes is like, beans and, no, sound like beans and rice, beans and rice. Yeah, the It's Jam, like um, Pack Jam was out. Like these were the like records and like we took those and we took my dad. My dad had a stereo system, you know, with the with the tuner and the tape deck in there. And what we did was we, we took some of my, this is one of the, I remember the first time we get, this is our first time we got in trouble doing music. We took one of my dad's tapes, you know, boom, boom, filled up the hole, right? And my brother was making the tape for us. Come to find out, it was, you know, one of my dad's band's mm. old school tape that he's like, bro, I can't even, like, that's not even like a real tape. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, and we took that tape all around and we were breaking with that tape from Powell Street where the um, cable, cable car turns around, mm-hmm. you know, and then Fisherman's Wharf. And that's when we met the Renegade Rockers people. That's when, you know, Wizard, that's when we, we reconnected with King Tech. He was wizard at the time. He was part of a breaking crew. What was it called? Fantastic Forest. No, um, can't even remember the name. That's crazy. But he was part of a big ass breaking crew at the time too. 
And I, I remember San Francisco at the time was like going through such a thing. It's like this pre-crack, right? Pre-crack. No one's rapping. No one got records. No one even knows what how to do this. We just hear it. And then we all like, oh, shit. People start rapping like with no way to record it. People start rapping. My brother start rapping. I start rapping. Repo starts rapping. We all rapping. Repo's beatboxing. We breaking. And this show started on TV in the Bay Area called Home Turf. Yes. Out of nowhere. Like, we... Now that I'm where I am now, I realize that the show was produced here. Growing up, it was on TV. And you you think it's like every other TV show. Mm -hmm. So we get up, and all of a sudden, they're talking about graffiti. They're talking mm -hmm. about breaking. They're talking about all kinds of, like, around the culture. And we're like, holy. And then they, and they have a flash. They're going to do a breaking contest, a breaking and strutting contest in San Francisco. And it was like, to see who's the best. And the winner gets some money, and they get to um, be a part of San Francisco Ballet. So we, our crew entered that. We entered that and and scored pretty high. And a, a funny thing at the finals is when I meet some guy named Eric E. Mm -hmm. He's part of a DJ group called Mind Motion. Yep. And E was the first person ever to go back and forth. He had friends. He was going, friends, friends, friends. Be juggling. How many of us have them? Just simple though. Friends, mm -hmm. friends, friends, bro. We're like, oh my God. And that's what sparked, I want to say, that's what sparked my brother to take it that much more serious. And, you know, my brother grew up to be someone really big and DJing. So through that, we, we started messing with the San Francisco Breakers. We started graffiti and everywhere. Like all that stuff was popping off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then it was like, our big goal was to DJ the high school dance. You know what I mean? And as I said, there was like bands and things going on. So it was like, and my dad coming from a band, he was like, bro, no one, I mean, no one wants to see a DJ <laughs> introduce records. Because at the time, a DJ wasn't someone that played records. It was a guy who talked on the radio in between songs. That's what yeah. the DJ was known for. So my dad was like, no one, bro, no one wants to hear no, hey, what's up? This is Gary Archer with the hits. He yeah. said, that ain't gonna fly. So I'm like, nah, Jim, he's gonna, he's gonna play records. He's like, what? And I, then that's when the, I asked him, I said, dad, don't bands take breaks? He said, yeah. And I said, maybe they'll let his DJ turn the break. And so our first thing was, our first little situation was got the DJ during the break of my the junior high school, James Lick. And then after that, our next dance, we got the ROTC dance at McAteer. And the rest was history, bro. Man, it's a trip. Uh, doing this podcast, hearing how many of these stories interconnect, uh, like you talking about, some people that were just mentioned on our last podcast. You're talking about My Emotion, who we just had a couple episodes ago. And it's a trip that, like, some of y'all were there for the birth of hip-hop in the Bay to see to where it's it's gone now. And it's a trip how a lot of it all starts with the East Coast influence, the b-boying, the DJing, graffiti, all that intertwines. But for, for you and your brother, how did that go from being this thing you're aspiring to to actually you know, becoming your career path? I want to say, so I became my brother's manager. We had a group called Skyway Sounds. And so we started, I started pushing the play to get us gigs, right? Gigs all around. And as we're doing these parties at high schools, 
I've always been like a math guy. I'm always like, I'm always analyzing. I started counting, you know, I start counting people. I'm, I'm, you know, they're charging kids $5 to get in the dance. And there's like 800 kids here, right? So I'm like, dang, $4,000? Mm-hmm. They were mad about paying us 200 Next time I'm asking for five. Mm-hmm. Right? So like early game, I that was that was my play. And then I started saying, we should start throwing our own parties. So we started renting out the community sitters, throwing our own parties, right? And I remember that it really took off when a station, when we not before the station, when my when we started DJing, there was this club in San Jose. It was called the Phantom Nightclub. I might have been 19, my brother was 21, and it was a big ass club, and it wasn't downtown, it was like South Side San Jose, and it was like, and it was and at the time, we were living, me and my brother had a spot around the corner. So we pulled up in there, and I, I convinced the dude to let my brother DJ at the club. And he was like, and we started off on a, I think it was a Sunday night. He's like, we're not even open Sundays. I said, that's even better, bro. He's like, well, you know, I got to pay people, this and that. And I was like, well, how much? How much? He's like, man, it's, it's cost me $400 to open the door. I said, well, here's $400. The door's open. I like that. I said, the door's open. I said, how about this? How about, there's your $400. Give my brother a dollar a person. Give me a dollar a person. Mm-hmm. I said, and for that, my brother will come DJ, and I'll promote and market this place. And they were, they were like, oh, that sounds, that sounds great. It sounds like a win. Until two months later, 3,000 people's outside. Yeah. And, and they're telling us, Oh, we're paying you too much money. Paying us too much money. You're paying me a dollar a person, right? So that that transformed my brother. At the time, by doing that, this guy named Van Dam walks in. This is another crazy story. Van Dam walks in the club with a, with a vinyl, and he's like, ask your brother if he'll play my record. This dude goes on to become JV. Rest in peace, JV, bro, mm. from the doghouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This dude tells my brother... I have a radio show on this radio station, Hot 97 FM in San Jose. Push up on the mic a little more. He said, I have this radio show in San Jose called on Hot 97 at 9 o'clock. Maybe you come DJ. My brother's like, I'm not going to DJ on the radio, bro. He's like, I got to be able to play what I got to play. And he's like, well, no, you could come just do 15 minutes. So that was, that was our family's break into radio. Hot 97... JV and my brother came in doing a 15 minutes of funk. And that turned from that little 15 minutes, I want to say within 120 days, my brother's the music director, system program director of the whole station. Wow. And which lent to him to start producing. You know what I'm saying? So the producing aspect turns out to be where the high energy movement from the Bay Area, like the high energy, the freestyle movement. Mm. My brother produced a lot of big records from that. So that, 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 and at, it was through this company called Upstairs Records. I was signed to Upstairs Records as a rapper, me and my friend Reed Dan and Greg Newbeck. We had a group called Lightside. We were signed to this, to this record company called Light, um, Upstairs Records and they had a record store. So my, that was the first time my brother was one of the first people to make I want to say DJ breaks on a record, like battle breaks. Yeah. Right? Cameron Paul was the only person that at the time was able to do it. 
and being a part of this allowed my brother to do that. And that, I want to say that moment <clears throat> kind of propelled everything forward because from that moment, fast forward, my brother gets a job after like Hot 97 blows up, they sell. At the same time, KSOL is turning into Wild 107. There's a one month, one month of wild style being played on the radio. Anyone from the Bay Area during that time, you turn on 107.7 and it would be wild style with no talking, no nothing. We didn't know what was going on. We found out they were turning into a new radio station. And that's when my brother, we, we started applying to see if my brother could DJ on the new station through Michael Martin. And we turned in these tapes and Michael Martin was like, man, your brother's real good. But... I never heard of none of these records. These, these real progressive. I said, nah, my, these are going to be big records. We DJ everywhere. I'm telling you, maybe they're not for the radio yet, but I'm telling you, these, and they're like, man, I love you. I love what your brother's doing. Here's a list of records. See if he can mix these. And Jim was like, I'll, I'll play a couple of them records, bro, but I want to be able to play what I want to play. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. So his whole radio career at Wild 107 started off with not taking the job. But then the, the radio station goes live, and the very first music you hear is my brother's mixes. Mm. And we're like, holy shit, what's going on? And it's like Michael Martin in the mix. Oh. What? We were losing our mind, bro. Oh, shit. But, but, but that, that led to Michael Martin reach out and connecting with Jim and talking with talk, we were able to talk and Michael Martin into letting Jim DJ at midnight. Jim was like, yo, let me DJ at midnight so I have a little more freedom. And then Michael's like, well, no one listens at midnight. And he's like, that's even better if I could gather an audience. So that's my brother's introduction to like the Clear Channel world was through that, a midnight mix show, which now, let's say 30 years, 27 years later, he became, you know, the, the, from the mix show director, music director, assistant program director, program director of Cameo 94.9. He has a big deal of hiring 98% of a lot of people that everyone knows. Mm. Um, my brother's kind of like me. Like, he's from the future. You know what I mean? We see shit. We see stars in the daytime. So, like, that little pedigree turned out to where we, my brother started a company. My brother was one of the first people to mix live on the air. And before then, everyone used to turn in tapes, especially right. on the West Coast. My brother was trying to convince... Michael Martin, that nah, for, for, for us to move forward, I think if we can mix live, we have more control of what's going on. Maybe something crazy comes out and we could be a part of that. We have a chance to throw it in. And through that, he created this, this vinyl just for him and the, and the DJs at the radio station. And in him and, and that was with him, Scotty Fox, um, Chris the Rebel, these, these are like DJs from back then that, that was like deep in the game. And they, together, they, they invented the 8-bar intro. If anyone ever heard of the 8-bar intro, like my, the, the theory behind it was, you know what, we're doing this vinyl. Not only should we make radio edits of songs that aren't radio edits, let's make it DJ friendly. Like made up the whole term, DJ friendly. Saying most people ain't DJs like we're DJs. Let's make it idiot-proof. Let's do eight bars clean in the beginning so when the hook starts, they could start, and then people will think, and my, my brother said, 
they'll get used to using our vinyl and they won't be able to DJ without it. Mm. It was Mastermind. Yeah. Mastermind. And that was called Strictly Hits. And the vinyl series we, we did was like Top Secret, Lethal Weapon. And then we leaked up with this dude, DJ XL out in New York. And he had the connection with all the illest reggae dudes. And we had a series called Strictly for the Dreads. We took the illest, most popular hip-hop beats and did reggae acapellas. Wow. <clears throat> you know, so we did all that, and that's how I met all the DJs. Because mm-hmm. my brother, another monster plan, he said, we want to sell these records, because it was record stores, right? And my brother at the time, DJs had record pools and things like that, but DJs still wanted to go buy records from the record store. So another, DJs had to carry all their music with them. Something else about this record, it had eight records on it. Eight majority, like you you, so you know these are eight so records. So instead of a single, you got a you got eight joints you can play on. You got eight joints mm-hmm. instead of eight different records. Yeah. And and as well as it probably has one or two like DJ things, like like I wanna say party transitions, mm-hmm. which would have like throw your hands in the air, yeah, throw right, your hands right, in the right. air. Just different tweaks. Yeah. Things DJs could use, like, like now the things DJs use in the Serato and yeah, all that. Yeah. Why do you think they got the, yeah, it was on the records. Sure. Right? So, like, that was, the concept was, and it took care of itself, or now it's like, I don't need to take 10 crates. I just take one crate of Strictly Hits records. Right. Right? So, as I'm calling the stores to sell the records, I remember we're selling the record for $8, and we're telling them to sell it for 12 Right? At the time, singles cost $6. And the store was like, Ain't no one's gonna spend no $12 for no record. And I'm trying to explain to them the records, you know, that are on there. And it was kind of difficult, except for the people around here. The record stores around here were with it. But the New York's and out of the country and Atlanta's like Denver's like there was a lot of a lot of things. And then my brother said, you know what? I need you to find the biggest DJs in these markets and gave me the markets. And let me tell you at the time, there was no Google. It was phone books, dog. Like, the internet was AOL, and you had to do, like, white pages. Mm-hmm. I'm looking up radio stations in different markets and who DJs. Like, it's crazy. And I compiled this list, and my brother said, start sending them the records. So out of nowhere, the biggest DJs I could find, I'm putting together packages of these records we got. And then I tell my brother, like, what do you want me to put inside the records? You want me to put anything like, like, because like normally when we ship them to stores, we put a piece of paper in there with information, like all kinds of stuff, right? And Jim was like, nah, just the records, Gary. I'm like, what? He's like, just the records. So I'm packing the records. I'm sending the records. I'm um, on the label. It says straight hits, Gary Archer, Oakland, California, 76th Avenue, Oakland, California. And that's it. So now I'm sending records for three weeks, three straight weeks, new records coming out. We be sending them, sending them. And my brother's like, start calling them. So I started my like, call them. I said, man, I don't know if like anyone watching this ever had to call a radio station and be like, yo, I want to talk. It's like, imagine calling, say, I want to uh, talk to Rick Lee. Yeah. And they're like, oh. Can I talk to Charlemagne the God, please? And, and, then, and DJ Envy, if he's around. So, and they're like, oh, sure. The, the secretary's like, oh, sure, here you go. Boom. And they transfer you over to some voice message. Doom, hey. Da, 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 right? And I'm like, my brother works at radio. I ain't never seen a man like listen to that, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just leaving messages. I'm like, hey, how you doing? This is Gary Archer from California. Strictly his man. I've been sending you records. Just want to say what's up. Hope you like and everything. And left my phone number. Boom. And next thing you know, 
Funk Flex is calling. Next, you know, the biggest DJs is just calling. Woo! Gary Archer, bam! Whoa! What are these records? What's going on? And I was, and, and as we were working it, it turned into DJs start playing this on the air. So now I'm able to use each one of these cities' big DJs and call the record store like, yo, you heard of so-and-so? Yeah, bro, he's playing our shit right now. Hmm. And it's, and that that initially is what's funded the whole our whole record label. You know what I mean? My, my brother is a part of, like, like we signed, like, we put out two, two Filipino groups, Interlude and One Voice. Mm. And early, very successful, early, you know what I mean? And, and, that, and that's around the time when I hooked up with Fab. Okay, wow. So that, whew, man. One thing I like to talk about you, bro, I, you do some of my job for me, brother, because you just went through the whole timeline in a good way, though. Like, that was entertaining, and you told the I story. I some things because there was some amazing things coming up as DJing. I just want to tell this one story about MC Go Cameron. for it. Yeah, please. Um, so, back in the, so as when, when, my, when we DJing things, right, for some reason, we, like, not for some reason, we hooked up this guy named Greg the Iceman Star. This dude was connected in all, I want to say, the urban clubs, like the baller clubs, like cocaine started becoming a big, crack just come out, right? So now all of a sudden, a lot of people got money. So there was clubs popping out. Anyone from the East Bay remember the Rusty Scupper or the Blue Dolphin? These were monster player places. And my brother DJ both these places, the white boy DJ up in that bitch. And I remember Hammer coming up in there one day, and he was like, Yo, 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 Gary, what's up, man? Tell Jazzy to play my record, man. Play my, it was Ring Him. He was like, I got this record, Ring Him. I'm like, oh, for sure. And he's like, tell him we got a dance routine. When he play that shit, we got to bust out and do our thing. Bro. Man, Jim played that shit and they opened up that club, boom, and they jumped. I feel like it was in the movie, but I, you know, I'm just being, I'm just being biased. But I mean, that shit, that shit crazy. That's, That's sick. Crazy. I mean, people got to really put respect on Hammer for, I mean... Bro, Hammer's the first hype, the first maniac, the first one to be, to, to get this real money. Like, on some real hype. Like, everything, everyone was against Hammer, they they would love to do, like, superhero on, shit. Man. And And knowing him back in that day from that time and knowing how cool he was and all the people's lives he changed, like, yeah. he just, he don't get nowhere near his job. Well, I was going to say, too, like, you know, nowadays people know, like, let's say, like a Chris Brown, but he don't get it. Hammer don't get enough respect for his dancing, his choreography, and how hard he really worked at all that shit too. I mean, people probably don't. A lot of people too young to know. You gotta understand MC when MC Hammer, Hammer came on TV, ha ah, ah, ha! It made everybody oh shit, look at that! Whoa, look at the move! Like well, Hammer, Hammer called out Michael Jackson. I didn't know that. To a dance off, fool. What? 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 Did, what? <laughs> I didn't know that. Michael Jackson said, I'm cool. Like, I don't want no smoke, Hammer. I Come heard, on, I bro. heard about you Oakland niggas. I ain't like, fucking with you, Hammer. Man, I'm just saying, like, like <laughs> Hammer, Hammer didn't, didn't, like, didn't like what people were saying about him. Like, Hammer's really from the town. He's just, That's like, right. The people he hang with is really about that shit. That's right. That's you know right. Put some respect on MC <laughs> Hammer, man. Uh, uh, another, I just want to tell one more story that it. we cut in here is that we're DJing, we throwing parties with this guy named Sean Tycho. Now, there's this party that's that we're throwing in Hayward, California. It's in Hayward, and this band is performing. The band is Digital Underground. Mm. So Digital Underground, the band though, before they like, right. like just like really the band. Like you got, you know, you got Shock on the Keys, you got the drum, like real band shit. And Tupac was there, bro. 
Tupac was with him. That's the first time I met Tupac. I don't know him like that, but I like met him at that little mm-hmm. spot. And bro, it turned out to be the monstrous riot on the planet. Crazy, bro. That's in the Tupac thing too. Just off the a riot off the music or just some other shit? Some in it? other shit popped mm-hmm. off. And it was just, it was many though. Like it was that was like not a riot, like. Like, I'm from the streets. It wasn't like that. It was the first concert, like, mayhem I seen. Like, chairs falling. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shit was, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit getting broke. Like, like it was main, bro. I like shit like that. That shit was main. <laughs> that shit was main. That's tight. Uh, so, you, really quick, you, you brought up Fab, who, who we'll touch on. But let's wind back the clock a little more and fill in some of these gaps in terms of... So, you go from breaking, DJing, rapping... Um, record label executive, um, radio, into artists management. And prior to Fab, you were an instrumental to Diz Entertainment. Was it? Is is it prior to Fab? During. So okay. I'm like I want to say every single music opportunity. At a, any major, at any major label is because of me working with Fab. The things me and Fab were doing was causing so much disruption. Was Fab the first artist that you worked with on that level? Besides my own group when okay. I was a young kid. Wow. And so I was I became Fab's manager out of necessity. I've heard you tell the story of how he pulled up on you for the very first time. Um, would you mind sharing that? Because I think that's a trip, how he, he just popped up on you. So he, he pulls up to Straight Hits, which, which is our label we had in East Oakland. Um, he pulled up maybe 8.30 in the morning, 18 and a half, 19 years old, maybe barely, knocking on the door, opening the door, and he's like, what's up, bro? What's up, Mr. Fab? How you doing? What's, how you been? What's going on? He's like, man, this is it? You got a studio in here? He's like, man. He's looking around, and then like, like I said, my brother produced records. So at the time, my brother was producing big records like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Young L. Like, I mean, what's what's the name from L? From New York? Big L. Big L. Oh, like, Big L. Okay. Big L. Like, like, so like you walk in and you see a lot of platinum and gold plaques in the studio. Like whether my brother did something on the record. So Fab's looking around like, holy shit, dog. Holy, I didn't know it was like that. You got a studio in there? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, bro. Want to hear me rap? I said, nah, bro, I'm good. I said, bro, I could tell you a star, bro. He's like, nah, bro, you got to hear me rap. I said, nah. He, then he starts, if anyone ever seen Crush Groove, it felt like when LL busting Rick Rubin off it, bro. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I know you don't want to hear me rap. And this is when the first time I, I see the magic. And to this day, I've never seen something, not just that one time, but to be able to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Like... So this dude, he he starts freestyling and looking around, and he's going plaque for plaque for plaque, and he's not doing this bullshit ass rap. Mm-hmm. Spin bars, actual and I'm bars. Like, I'm losing my mind, and I'm like, holy shit! And I call my brother, like, bro, this dude is insane. If we could find a way for the world to figure this out, bro, this is gonna be crazy. And it was like, I seen something that made me want to be like. This is so fucking big. I gotta find a way. I gotta find a way. And it turned into picking up Fab every day, going to talk to all the DJs that I knew, just hanging out, trying to figure out. I wanted people to know him before there was pressure to play anything. 
And Fab's face card was played so tough. Um, we we got this rap ex- expedition. We was one of the first people to have a rap vehicle because I, you know, I did a lot. Of, I didn't even mention my showcase shit, my ozone shit. But so like we was. For people who don't know, that's when you wrap the whole album cover or photo or flyer on on the actual whip. So Fab's first album was called Nig Latin, and the cover was just a big like the side of the truck was just a big ass picture of Fab, big ass face of Fab. And and we and it said Nig Latin and it said Mr. Fab, the new Oakland legend. Get used to it. That'll that'll get some attention right there. I was one to say, and I, I'm still one to say, if I believe it, I'ma say it, and, and I, it's up to you to say we're not. You just might buy in because my energy right. Facts. And and what's crazy is we set out to do something, but it's still it's incredible. It's incredible the way the the things we were able to do. It's still, yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy to see how how far it's gone. You know, more than twenty years later. How how did that um, transpire into the this situation? I want to say so. During during as I'm managing Fab and we're getting we're setting setting to release his record, we're 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 going everywhere and now and we actually start we start like a mini group. A coalition, let's say. It was a coalition. And we called ourselves the New Bay. This was... We was trying to play the games. We was trying to play reindeer games. And people wasn't playing with the new generation at the time. This might have been 2000. OG still had everything on lock. I mean... It was like a uniform sound of the Bay Area that people recognized. What I think... Now that I'm older, back then you you take it personal. Now Now that I'm older, really... They didn't know we was trying to get old them like that. There's yeah. no social media. There's no yeah. like, oh, get so-and-so. Like, we're still trying to figure out. We're still meeting people that know people. I think every upcoming artist goes through that phase where they're like, why ain't no one fucking with us? And it's like, really? And then you figure out, oh, I, well, I got to do this shit on my own. I got to make some shit happen. I mean, you have to that. make enough noise. Like, yeah. and, and, and as we realize that, you know, as, as I'm doing that, I catch the um, attention of Messy Marv. And I start managing Messy Marv. So at the same time as we putting the Fab record out, I'm managing Messy Marv. And they're cousins too, right? I'm, I'm not sure. Fab got a lot of cousins. Okay, like, yeah, like, real, like it's hard even like a lot of people say people with cousins, but Fab got a lot of aunties and like a lot of shit go down. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. But I start managing Messy, and I'm part of like putting out his Disobeyish album. You know, what I mean, help organize that and put that out, and then we also put out the. Tattoos and Tunnelings album. Two of his biggest albums. Um, and I just want to say, man, um, Free Messy Marv, hopefully he gets his, um, he just gets, you know, gets what he deserves. Messy Marv's someone that was way ahead of his time. Another another guy from the future, and that's why we we got along. Um, and he, he got my attention by saying my name on a mixtape, a click clack a mixtape. He's like, man, you might as well start calling me Gary Archer and this motherfucker. All I do is put out straight hits. Mm. And then that was like the bird call. And the next, you know, we link up and he come through the magazine, Showcase Magazine, and I started managing him. And this is the Showcase Magazine cover that your wife, D-Ray, so, shot the photo for, which she talked about on our podcast previously. So as, you know, as I'm I love working, when all this shit ties so together. I, as, man, as, I'm working, say that. As, as I'm working with the magazine and I'm pushing Messi and a crazy story during the um, disobeyish time, we go meet a kid 
named Droopy when he's 15 years old. And he give us the get on get on my hype. Right. Dude. Shout out to Jupiter, man. You know what I mean? Like Jupiter. And he also reached out to us and gave us the super sick with it. He's like, I'm mm-hmm. a Fab fan. You know what I mean? Hit up Fab. And like, it was MySpace days, like many shit. So I just know that Messi, I, I just talked to Messi recently and um, seemed to have his head straight. So I can't wait for him to come home. But That's um, during Messi, during that time, like I just want to say how futuristic. The, the same way people look at Spotify for artists. That's how we were looking at SoundScan and oh, shit yeah. like that. And then, like, we'd find our top 10 core markets, and then, then we we penetrate these markets. And, like, he had this whole little game plan that took me from where I was to the next level, I felt like, and just and helped open it up. So fast forward to where now we're about to do a cover on Showcase Magazine. My wife shoot, shoots for Showcase, and my wife shoots is shooting the, the cover. And then as she's shooting the cover... Mac Dre, Mac Dre, Miami, and Kilo pull up. Yeah, she told this story on the podcast. So they, That's right. So they pull up. <clears throat> they pull up. I'm outside with D-Ray, and, and Dre's like, yo, G, let's, let's go inside, bro. Frank inside? I want to holler about a cover, bro. He's like, matter of fact, don't you guys got two covers? He goes, I want two covers. Has anyone ever did two covers? I want back-to-back covers, right? And I'm like, holy shit. That's like the first. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like, this is my first, like, Real life interaction with this dude, and I'm like, oh, like the way he is, I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. And like, I'm loving it, right? Yeah. I'm like, juice. I'm a, like, I'm, I'm a Bay Area fan, bro. Like, of course. Like, let me just say that anyone listening to this, everything I've ever done, I'm a fucking fan of this yeah, shit. As, as we all are, I'm man. I'm a super fan. Hell so, yeah. so we, this is, so walking in, we go start hollering about Frank, hollering to Frank about the cover and talking about two covers. And then that's when he sees the, the fab truck, the fab trucks parked back there. And he's like, and then he sees there's a Tech Nine truck over there. Right, like, I remember Tech Nine was mobbing so, around with the, with the truck so, so out he here had for the a minute. Showcase, he had mm-hmm. the showcase Tech Nine truck, and Mac Dre was like, "Hey, Cuddy, what's what's one of them? I want a Mac Dre truck. What's that thing cost? I want a Mac Dre truck. I want a cover. I want two covers." He's talking to Frank. Frank's like, "Oh shit!" Da, da, da. So I'm I'm in the office because I'm I'm ex- I'm ex- like assistant editor, right? So I'm in there just chilling, talking shit, and I'm like, oh shit, it's just going down, going down. And I just asked Mac Dre, like, Dre, how come you ain't, how come you ain't putting no songs to the radio right now? And he's like, um, gee, you are my song. I'm too hard for the fuck with radio. And he's laughing. I'm like, nah, serious. He's like, bro, I don't know. They don't fuck with me like that. And then I, that's when I tell him, like, bro, my brother, bro, my brother fucking up at the radio, bro. Fucking, we grew up Mac Dre fans. I would love, it would be my honor to take you up to the station, bro. Go, you know, go, just at least go meet my brother and shit. And, you know, I don't know what's popping. He's like, oh, shit, let's put it together. So that was like, that was my introduction to that. As we're in the office, I'm I'm, I'm pitching Fab, of course. To Dre. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. I'm, like, they're talking, you know, I'm talking with, we already, we already inked in that I'm going to help him with the radio a little bit, right? And I'm like, I'm like, hey, Dre. I got this young artist, bro. He's super dope. His name is Mr. Fab. And he's like, yeah, yeah, probably so. G. He's like, man, man, I'll be honest, man. I got so many, I got so many obligations to the crest right now. G. I got so many obligations, man. He said, but man, man, if I expand this, he goes, I'm thinking about starting something this this thing. I'm this this, this entertainment. He said, I don't know though, man. You know, I got a lot of people I gotta worry about. So then that's, it goes away. And we we actually hook up with Dre because B Love, we see B Love at the grill. We're recording at the grill. Shout out Lev and the Grill. Yes, um, sir. We're recording um, songs for Son of a Pimp that are on Son of a Pimp. Some songs we weren't 
part of Dre's thing yet. And um, B loves like, hey, does Fab want to get in this uh this DVD y'all making? And it was the the Need for Speed exhibition, exhibition speed. speed, yes sir. So we were like, oh fuck yeah, let's do it. And he's like, let's do it in front of the truck. So we do it in front of the truck, and I think once Dre seen that, Dre was like, holy shit, that dude's a fucking superstar. Yo, Cuddy, we need to fuck around with that. And then come to find out, like, Fab's blood cousin is Nucci. Nucci's Mac Dre's, like, real live outside manager at the time, right? So, it, like, it all it all started working itself out in, in that sort of sense. And little by little, I started helping him with the label. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But, like, when I started helping with the Thiz label, like, I don't know, like, it was almost like, a wedding, honeymoon, and then Mac Dre gets murdered. Yeah, short-lived. You know what I mean? With with Dre alive. Like, I, you know, me, like, maybe, like, close niche working maybe a year and a half, two years, you know what I mean? And then we we signed with Dre, like, maybe seven months before he gets murdered. Right. Like, we hanging out with him and shit and, like, all that kind of stuff. But Dre's officially like, yo, fab, do da da And it's just, so, like, during that time is when I'm getting close with Kilo and Miami and him, and, and they see the way I'm, you know, I, I move things, so I became the, the label manager. I've heard it said that one of Dre's plans for this was to take over the whole bay by having artists from every city, pretty much. That, that was, so the whole, that's what this entertainment was going to be. Mob figures, I heard. Mob, mob figures, fab, um... There wasn't, then you got... Um, Heard he was interested in Fully Loaded from Frisco. Fully Loaded, Fully Loaded. You got Johnny Cash and them, Ryder J. Clyde, obviously from the Mob Figures, but but it, was, it wasn't was Mob Figures as a whole. Yeah. It was more like Hustler, Jacka, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Um, Ryder was already on this. You know, Ryder, exactly. And, you know, that's that's Little Dre. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's Little Dude, you know what I'm saying? And um, so Dre's goal was like, yo... I think it'd be dope. His his entertainment goal was to sign someone dope from each city to represent this, to kind of share the the love he's getting. Like it was never, it was never like, oh, I'm gonna take over the bay. Yeah. It, it was like, yo, we we gotta find a way to share this attention. Well, Jack has said in um, one of his lines, if Mac Dre was here, I probably would have signed it this. And I got my own label now. I'll probably sign my next. Come on, come on. And that was like Dre's dream was to get everyone a million dollars. You know what I mean? He, he wanted to make everyone rich off music. That, that was his, his... Can y'all imagine how fucking crazy it would have been if that's where the Fizz movement went? And then when... Man. When Dre passed is when it turned into Fizz Nation. Yes. And then you also had Town Thizzness, Fizz City. So in a way, that that did come into fruition. I mean, that, that was Dre's plans, but when Dre, when Dre got murdered, his estate... The, the things that were happening, we had to start a new company. Yeah. So that's where this Nation came in. And right. that, and that's when we're like, yo, it just makes sense to let everyone have their own piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? From Jay Styles and them, to from, you know, Frisco with Juice and them, you know what I mean? All that little fun stuff. Yeah. Crazy, man. And as this is happening, you know, uh, Son of the Pimp, is Son of a Pimp is being created, comes out, not, did it come out the same year Dre died? Dre, Dre dies 
in November, son of a bitch. Okay, so that was May the following year. 05. Yeah. Yeah. And that shit took over the fucking streets. What's crazy was that's so when 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 we started messing with Dre, that's when he started introducing me to Walter. Mm -hmm. City Hall Records. Um, I'll be dope to interview him one day. So walking in Walter, mind you, I've already met I've already met Walter back when I was putting out Fab's first record. Trying to put out Fab's first record, Walter said he didn't want to put it out. Bayside Distribution said they don't want to put it out. Southwest Distribution let us put it out. And that's, thank God, because that's how I met uh, Julia Pilot. That's kind of when you really you, you really needed uh, distribution yeah, back because then. Because you need stores, right? Yeah. And, and the... The only stores you could get into without that is mom and pops. Mom and pops. And mom and pops don't have a lot of space, don't have so a lot of money. So we're talking Virgin Tower, Virgin Tower Warehouse. Exactly. What's that shit that used to be in the mall? FM? I think FYE. FYE, yeah. So all, all those things, people, you know, like I got to meet the buyers. So fast forward, we're doing this this thing. Son of a Pimp's getting ready to come out. There's five other this records coming out same day. Um, they're really focused on some other records, which is understandable. You know what I'm saying? Understandable. Um, as we're getting it together, the last song we we record for Son of a Pimp is Super Sick With It. Um, as we do the song, Droopy says his dad wants to get on the song. Wow. We're like, yo, this is crazy. And that's, and that's when they ask us to put Turf Talk on the song. Mm-hmm. And... And we're like, yo, let's let's go. It's good. Droopy did the beat, right? Mm-hmm. And that song right there, us getting that song in our hands, and then us, me being able to double back on every DJ I've ever met. And mind you, there's no MP3 sending no no songs like that. So Gary Archer spent, we, me and my brother spent, really I spent, because you know my, we spent so much money sending this vinyl out talking to people, getting this, trying to get this song played, that when we finally got it, the day we sent it, I want to say 15 stations played the record. Man. Um, Rick Lee was the first one to play it. I remember Rick Lee, like, what's crazy is everyone said, dang, finally I got a record I, like I could really push. And it was really magical. It was really magical, and it sucked. It, it was it sucked in one way, and it was magical in another, right? Because yeah. of because of the Dre situation, yeah. and not not to go back to that, but I have to go back to that. That Dre was big when he died, but but not. He got bigger. It's just, after his death, in a way. Thank God for the fans. I'm just gonna say that because more more people got familiar with him just, after hearing you know, about people, his passing and stuff. I just want everyone watching this that's a Mac Dre fan and a Fizz fan to know that. 95% of every single person in charge told us no until he was dead. Wow. And all them people, every one of them, claimed to say they believed this whole time. And it it, it hurts. It really hurts. It really hurts. Um, Mac Dre never even got to hear himself on the radio, dog. Yeah. Imagine, imagine Mac Dre and you're like, oh, he's never heard himself on the radio. He's, we've interviewed a couple times because someone said he was dead. Mm-hmm. So we got to go interview a couple of radio stations. Right, not long before he actually passed, there was that rumor that exactly. he like overdosed on pills or some shit like that. So and Dre was like, and Dre was like, man, my mom's tripping. G, is there any way that you could holler at your brother? Man, we go straighten this shit out. I'm like, oh shit. So we we go, we go up there, 
this this whole day was crazy. We go up to the station and we pull up to the, anyone's ever been to KML 94.9 up there, it's like you go up the elevator and you pull into a secretary, like an office. We walk in there and there's chairs and Mac Dre get ready to sit down. I'm like, Dre, we ain't no lobby sitters. I said, we peace sign givers. He's like, oh, gee, say it again. Say it again. So, you know, we hit off the secretary with the peace sign and we start walking through the hallway to go talk to my brother. And if anyone's ever been there, they got a lot of stations on one floor. So they got the country station, right. the rock station, the news station. They're all in this thing. Mm-hmm. And as we're walking, I'm popping in these offices. I'm like, Dre, come on. We walk in Mark's office from the rock station. Mark, what's up, bro? I got Mac Dre. He's like, oh, Mac Dre, hold on. He's, he's grabbing his, his box camera and like, let's go. So like we, by the time we get all the way over to, to my brother's office, we done been in five different radio stations. Like the, the main dude's office and they're like tripping out. And Dre's like, bro, this is crazy. Wow. This is crazy. And we walk in and Jim's like, oh man, Matt Dre, what's up, dog? He's like, man, you feel like doing an interview? He's like, for sure. For sure. And then we were lucky enough to do an interview with Shorty. Do you have that interview, bro? Yeah, we got Shorty. Shorty's the one that did the interview. And that's that's the day. I would you, love to hear that shit. If you ever, if you ever hear a Mac Dre drop on KME, uh-huh. that's the day he did it. Wow. That's the day he did it. I remember. And um, mind you, they it was it was really almost pulling teeth to get, you know, my brother had almost had to pull teeth to to get someone to interview Max Dre that day. Yeah. Let's just say that. Right, 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 right. Let's just say that. And it, um Yeah, that's all. And it's just, you know, Dre was a he wanted the best for his people, bro. Well, like you said, that's that bittersweet. That's what makes that um super sick with it, a little bittersweet. It was it's dope too also to hear a song that salutes Diz and Sick with it in the same record. And um It was only right though. For Thank sure. God. For sure. Thank God. Like and like so like I said, the, that record comes out two, three weeks before the album come out, right? So I'm I'm a maniac. So I'm calling Walter like, bro, what the pre-sales looking like? What's cause you know back then like you wanted the pre-sales matter because no one could even buy your record if it's not in the store. You know what I'm saying? So like if I ain't got 30 records in Rasputin's or whatever, bro, I'm definitely not going to sell no records, right? So I I holler at Walter and he tells me we have 111 pre-sales, mm. pre-orders for the Son of a Pimp album. I said, Walter, for real? I said, who, who's selling the record? And he tells me some dude's name. I don't want to say his name because we got into like a real verbal altercation. We almost like... Me and Walter wasn't cool for a while until this shit blew up, I promise you. Because I was like, hey, Walter, can, why don't you, can I get this store list? I'm going to call the stores. There you go. So I, I start calling all the stores, and I'm grabbing orders, and then I call dude up. And I said, hey, bro, my name's Gary Archer, bro. Part of Thiz, bro. I run Thiz. I'm the fucking label manager. We got all these albums coming out, and I just want to let you know that I don't know if you selling records or you accepting orders. I said, because there's a lot of important information about the fly. I said, not only are we on 30 radio stations, how like how are you not saying that? Like, how is it not moving? I said, matter of fact, you got a fax machine? This is back in them days. Mm-hmm. I said, man, I'm going to fax you the orders. I faxed him the orders. He called me on the phone. He's like, how dare you call my stores? Who gave you that information? I said, Walter gave me the information. Bro, how do you think I called him? He said, you ain't going to tell me. I said, bro. 
Let me explain something, bro. We got the biggest shit moving. Like Dre said, biggest things is the TV invention. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You ain't going to treat our label like it's some bullshit, bro. Like, you ain't giving no respect to the hip-hop artists up here at City Hall. And he's like, don't. I've been selling rap music since Sugar Hill Gang. <laughs> I said, bro, this ain't Sugar Hill Gang. This is son of a pimp. <laughs> I promise you, bro. And he was like, What? <laughs> <laughs> Walter was like Walter was like Man why'd you call him I said I just had to let him know But you know So like it started off A little bit That Walter was like Bro like But as time goes on These are the little moments In my life of That make us successful Hey man You gotta kick the fucking door in man I mean, You I'll can't wait for somebody To open it for you Sometimes you gotta If you start knocking And they don't hear you Eventually you gotta Boot it down man You gotta be the weatherman man. That's right Change the weather one time Come on man So like that that really, you know, that that turned a lot of shit on its head. Thank God that happened. I'm just saying, thank God that happened because that helped that helped our whole label. Yeah. It helped all of us sustain a lot of shit um, because without dipping into Dre's money. And, you know what I mean? And, and I just want to let a lot of people, like, this, I'm sure there's, like, there's a lot of myths and things going on. Like, ain't no one ever touched Dre's money. From the moment Dre died, Dre mama been in charge of that. Word. His daughter. Like, like that's why we started a whole nother company. That's why all this shit happens the way it happened. You know what I mean? I promise you that. Like, all we want is the Cuddy to get what he's supposed to get. And and now we want his daughter and his mama, you know what I mean, to get what they're supposed to get. Because, like, at the end of the day, our fans, I just want to thank all these people, man. They go out their way. They've been going out their way before social media. They drive hundreds and thousands of miles just to just to catch a, a whiff. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, we we discuss Mac Dre a lot on this platform. I mean, as as it should be, there's no way to talk about the Bay without talking about him. And it is remarkable to see how many fans are still out there and how huge the following is. And for myself, who was a kid growing up on all this stuff, to still see it be so relevant today is, is super dope. I think it's a, um, it's a theory that I just want to bring to the table. I, I never think, it's never what the music sounds like. The reason Mac Dre's still alive is because of the way the music felt. Because of the music, the way the music felt? The way it felt. Mm -hmm. Like... Not how it sounded, how it felt. How it felt. Yeah. Like, if your music can make someone feel something... Yeah. People want to tell that story. Like, he had a, a unique connection with people. Well, especially when it's attached to a particular moment in time, like Absolutely. it was. If you weren't around in the Bay Area, if you wasn't outside 2001 to 04, I mean, this shit was bananas. The Thiz movement was unstoppable. It was It was, It was. was what it was, and thank God that, that that's why I'm still doing what I'm doing now, right? Like, just, just, man, thank God. I've been a part of some incredible things, bro, but... No doubt. Let's keep it going because I'm interested in how the work you're doing for Fab pays off as Atlantic Records come knocking. Not the only label, I'm assuming, to show interest. Yeah, so... Um, Getting other offers. It was... You know, at the time, just, you know, at the time, you know, it, it felt... It felt magical, right? Like, these are things that you hear about in movies and this and that. Even though, like, 40 got his deal and Too Short got his deal, Richie Rich got it. We didn't know them like that we didn't think when they got their deal. We didn't know how that went. And all of a sudden, because of the noise we were making, like I said, we knew a lot of DJs and the DJs were playing our records. So Media Base and BDS was a big 
deal back then. There was no other platforms with music. So they were noticing records with getting spins, five spins, 10 spins. They noticed that on a station because they're missing spins. So out of nowhere, Jeff Finster calls. He's from Jive Records. He calls. And he's like, yo, what's up, man? I wanna, uh, want y'all to come out to New York. Sit down with Jive, man. We want to talk to you. Talk to you about maybe doing a deal. And I'm like, oh, bro, that sounds dope. But um, we got a show this weekend, bro. We can't do it. He's like, no, nah, when are you free? I said, bro, we really do like three, four shows a week, bro. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. He's like, all right, man, well, I'll call you back. And then Sylvia Rohn's calling us. She's running Universal. Um, Mike Karen's calling us. He's real young at the time. Um, all these people are calling us and they're interested in, in what we're doing. And it was exciting, you know what I mean? And um, Jeff Finster actually got on a plane and called us and said, hey, I'm in Oakland. I'm in Oakland. Can you and Fab come meet me? And we went and meet him at the, um, the Claremont. Is that what it's called? Out there in the Berkeley, Berkeley, Oakland Hills right there? Okay. Is that what it's called? Claremont. Yeah. So he's like, man, come meet me. We went and met him up there. And he was kind of telling, telling us his pitch about, I'm the guy that came and got too short and came and got E-40 and Spice One. Like, like I'm, I believe in the Bay. Mm. And I think you're the new generation. Like, he really sold us on that. And I was like, oh, that's dope, right? So then he just types us up, then he goes home, right? And then these other labels, these other labels are talking to us and we're starting to blow up, blow up, blow up, blow up, blow up. And they got, there's this bomb concert in San Jose, 94.9 bomb concert. Oh, yeah. And um, E-40's on the bill. Um, um, let's see who else is on it. Pibble's on the bill, um, a lot of singing artists, like at the time, the biggest artists on the planet on this, you know, imagine a radio station bomb concert, right? So that's going on and we're performing. So this was my moment where we invited the labels to come watch us. Nice. I was like, if they see it, it's going to be a whole different ball game. Right. Right. So they, they come out and I remember us being on the show and I remember them like, damn dog, where's the, um, when's Fab going? Now, you know, we knew Fab was going on second to last. We knew that. But but I pretended like we didn't know that. Like, oh, I don't know. And they went, they was looking. It's like, oh, bro, something must not be right. They got him going on second to last. I'm like, oh, shit, that's dope. They're like, they're all worried. Do you think that's a good idea? And they're naming these other artists, right, that got hits or whatever. I'm like, nah, I said, man, shit, I guess we'll see, bro. That'd be dope. And we went out there and it was like, it was monstrous, mm-hmm. monstrous. Like, and it was that was our first big giant concert. Like that, like like before that, we we were able to do. K. Win had the summer splash at the water slides. We did that, and that was kind of big. But this was San Jose Arena, right? Sure. This was like holy shit. This was this was mania shit. So what that turned into is now they wanted to fly us out to New York and talk and talk that shit. So after flying out there and hooking up with Jennifer Justice. At the time, she's Jay-Z's lawyer at the time. We hook up with her and, and she helps us navigate through these different situations. And we go sit down with Sylvia. Sylvia Rohn at the time, I remember Nick Cannon walks in the office while we're there. He, they, she's doing a deal with Nick. Nick's young. I mean, just imagine it's 2005, mm-hmm. end, of, end of 2005. Right. And so we're doing that. She's, she's, like, she's like, hey man, you, you guys know Keek? Man, I'm trying to get hold of Keek. I got a million dollars Keek. I remember, man. I, man, it was it was it felt so good that out of everyone, I think Sylvia had the most knowledge about the Bay. Mm. 
like for real, she had the most knowledge. And looking back, I think that would have been a great home. Um, but at the but at the time, we were thinking it's universal. Where do we fall in the totem pole of importance, right? And 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 she didn't. It never got to a point where it was like we turned down a deal. She said she wanted to put something together, and I and I remember that we went. MySpace just came out, and Fab was one of the biggest early dudes on MySpace mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Just we was we was taking off, and I remember we was in New York at the um, at the Jive office, and we had the meeting. We we're in the conference room, and it, it was it was Biggie Day. It was the day Biggie got murdered. So it was like the anniversary, right? We're in New York, and I, and I they have Sirius XM, and I, and they're talking about it. And I hear Rude Jude, Rude Jude. Now I don't know if anyone knows this dude, Rude Jude on Sirius XM. Jenny Jones from Jenny Jones. <laughs> so Rude Jude, I met Rude Jude when he was part of Jenny Jones. He reached out on some Mac Dre Fab early day shit. Mm. So I hear Rude Jude, and I'm like, oh, holy shit. So I, I'm, I'm talking to the job people. I'm like, hey, call up Sirius XM, bro. Get us up on the fucking Rude Jude show. Y'all want to show me something? We in New York. You know what I mean? I'm trying to do my, you know what I mean? Yeah. My flex. What's yeah, the move? Yeah, and they're yeah. like, oh, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's so disrespectful. And I don't know if I can. I'm like, man, get the radio dude up here. Like, hold on. Da, da, da. They're like, I don't know. Do you want to order some food? And I'm like, hold on, bro. This is this when you had the two ways out. Mm-hmm. I, I put down an alert. Who got Rude Jude's two-way? Do-do-do-do. I got Rude Jude's two-way. do do I hear Rude Jude. Hey, Rude Jude, Gary Archer, me and Fabs over here at the Jive office, bro. Love to stop by the station. He's like, shit, come by. So so during the meeting, we're like, hey, bro, we'll be right back. Where y'all going? Oh, we're going to Sirius XM. Keep wow. it on. Keep it on. Keep it on. We about to go live. So we we we, we go down there, and um, Fab does an ill-ass fucking freestyle, bro. Like... He starts talking about B and, you know, just the whole shit. Fab knows, mm-hmm. you know, he knows where he's yeah, at. He's, yeah. just, he's talking about New York history and he's yeah. like, he's talking about he's a kid from Oakland and, you know. Yeah. And it just, it was just another platinum moment, bro. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, so like that's, that that's when the label started calling and they was offering different things. And I remember that when we met Craig Kelman, the president of uh, Atlantic, I remember, you know, Mike was hella cool, but he was young. He, he didn't have the power he has now. He was like a, a young A&R dude, and he believed in us. Like, he didn't even sign T.I. yet or nothing yet. It was like, it was early like that, and he was like telling, telling Craig, and then Craig went to his office and pulled out some Fab vinyl, the first Fab vinyl. He's like, bro, I've been a Fab fan. Yeah, he also signed RBL back in the day, I believe. So That's big. Sure, he knew about the Bay, yeah. So he signed Wow. Come on, Craig Kelman's a, he's, he's a real music guy. Mm-hmm. And and lets the label run around him, if that makes sense. A lot of these music guys turn into label guys. He's still a music guy. He's right. incredible. Right, right, right. He's incredible for sure. But but I I remember why we didn't do the jive thing is we, when we get back and we're talking to them, they want to go to strip clubs. They're like, oh y'all want to go to strip clubs? Like like they're trying to do the old like. They're trying to show you out and wine and dine you. you know, old, like, like, here's the gold chain in a 40. I don't know. Like They're I, trying to put some booty cheeks in your face and be like, hey, by the way, uh, kinda sign felt, right here. Kind of <laughs> felt that a little bit. And yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, we're like, y'all ain't got a studio? They're like, no, we got a studio downstairs. And we're like, oh, shit, let us go fuck around the studio. So then we go down to the studio, bro, and they're, they're pulling up records. And, and then Fab's getting on big-ass records. We're just jumping on records and shit. And I'm like, bro, where the weed at? Weed's hella illegal still. Hella illegal in New York. Uh-huh. Bro, hella illegal. Man, 
I see, I hear baby Bash, like, Bash, where you at? Didn't you say you was going to be in New York? He's like, bro, I'm about to, I'm about to land, about to land right now, 30 minutes. It's 30, about 30, 40 minutes, he hits me like, I'm here, where you all at? He pull up to the Jive studio where we eat, and I'm like, oh, this is dope. So now we pull up in the studio, and then I'm telling Bash, like, bro, let me see, roll that shit up. He's like, bro, I don't want to smoke in here. I'm like, why? He's like, oh, that's Jeff Finster, you know, all the, the bosses. And I'm like, man, fuck that. These dudes, when we were there and I was asking for weed, this engineer and, and Jeff was like, here, we get you some weed. And the weed dude came and it was like, wasn't even weed. I'm like, yeah. I was like, these dudes trying to get me to smoke and just playing tobacco, bro. We, right? And, and Bash is like, nah, 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 nephew, nah, nephew. Hold on, let's go out front. So me and him out front smoking. We smoking out front, bro. Boom, boom, Manhattan, right? Downtown Manhattan. And all of a sudden, boom, some dudes walking by, boom, 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 pass me up. Bash got the weed in his hand. And all of a sudden, boom, they tackle Bash. I'm like, oh, shit. And they're like, fucking police. They're like, police. They're pulling out badges. Pulling out these badges, bro, and guns. We're like, holy shit, bro. They slam us on the ground. We're like, ah. And then they they grab the weed and they pick it up. And they're like, what is this? You know, it's some exotic weed and then. There's barely any exotic weed now, but back then, for surely, there was no, you know what I mean? So they're like, oh, they're they're, they're blowing their mind. They're like, where did you get this? Where did you get this? And and then Bash is like, I brought it on the plane with me. (laughs) He's like, what? No, where did you get it? He's like, I bought it out the store. We got it. He pulled out. He's like, look at my my IDs. Like, the cannabis card. Yeah, yeah. The first cannabis card. It was the medical days, yeah. The first was, it looked like a license, Uh a hologram and shit. So he's looking, the cops looking at that shit like, what? What? He's like, yeah, they just let me get on the plane with it. And he's like, no way. He's like, we're still going to fucking arrest you. And they arrested Bash, bro. Oh, shit. (laughs) That shit was crazy, bro. I felt bad, bro. (laughs) That's crazy. Well, I mean, with all these these ups, there's like some setbacks too, right? A, a big thing is the KML situation, where basically Fab got blackballed from the radio. Um, was that like kind of detrimental to the movement too? You feel? I think if we're talking the hyphy movement, it, it really. Propelled. I'm talking about Fab's movement, but so, I mean, same, I mean, same. I mean, they're both connected. What they did to Fab's movement at the time. At the time, we thought it was death. We thought that happening. We we honestly thought someone was trying to kill us. We we couldn't believe that we could work so hard for something. And at the time, we probably had seven songs on the radio. Um, probably two or three of our own songs. And um, a lot of people's first play on radio was... Fab featured on their song, mm. a remix, like mm-hmm. the Van song, mm-hmm. the Grown Man song. Right. Um, there's just a, a lot of records that were being played at the time when we got banned, and it just felt like death because the reason we got banned is is even more the reason that's heartbreaking. Um, like, there's going to be other reasons people say, and I think it's because of after we were banned for over certain amount of time Fab was fed up Fab was fed up and started calling names out and that's when publicly they started saying oh yeah it's because of this or that whatever and I'm just I just want people to know like at the time when when we our introduction to KML radio rap was the freestyle battles yeah freestyle was it freestyle Friday and that started with 
because we we went to the wake up show. Shout out Terry Calloway connected us to do the wake up show, and I remember our trip to go do the wake up show. We in the we in the fab truck. We borrowed my brother's shell card, and we on our way down there. I remember Sway calling me and be like, "Are y'all ready for the show?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we ready." And then Sway's like, "The fab um, writers rap." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Yeah, did Fab Fab wrote a rap for the show, right?" I'm like, "What?" I said, "Fab." Fab sitting next to me. I'm like, "Fab." He's like, "What?" I said, "Sway want to know if you wrote a rap for the show." And if anyone knows Fab, bro, his expressions. He went, "Oh man, come on, G. Hell no, I didn't write no rap, bro. Tell him I'm a freestyle." And then Sway Sway hears him, right? He's like, "Bro, he cannot freestyle on the show, bro." And, and I'm like, bro, Sway says you can't freestyle. He's like, what, man? Come on, bro. Everyone be freestyling. And Sway's like, nah, no one freestyles. No, no, no one. Maybe one or two people. Everyone, everyone has a written rap. So you can, you can write a rap or you can't get on the show. Bro, we, we get there and Sway's like, did you write a rap? He's like, nope. He's like, bro, I don't think you get on the show. Damn. Bro, it was so many, bro. Like, it was, it was, but it's, I understand it because... We knew something he didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like I could imagine, oh, rapper Joe Schmo, this is the fucking wake-up show we're talking about. Yeah, and he's talking live radio, and, commercial radio. And he's like, yo, you know what I mean? Just the whole the whole process. And I remember that um, that that's the day we met Common and uh, Kanye West and some other people was there. And um, I remember Common, Common was like, you gonna rap? Because you mean Fab Fab's like, man, he said I can't rap if I don't, because I'm I want to freestyle. And he's like, oh, you freestyle? He's like, I freestyle too. He's like, all right. I remember that. I don't know if Sway was gonna let us rap or not, but we there and like in in the studio sitting there and Common's up there and they're doing the interview and then they get ready to let Common rap. And Common's like, I want to hear that dude from Oakland rap. Mm. Bring Fab up here. And then Fab went up there and he and he just, once again, he did some magical shock the world stuff. And it was like that moment right there created fast forward son of a pimp that we got a Kanye West beat on that album. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, man. The song Big Time is yeah. produced by Kanye West. Crazy. And um, these happen for magical moments that you don't realize they are what they are when they're going through. Yeah. Hopefully this is a lesson for a lot of people. And I went through a lot of magical, like historic things that were regular moments at the time. And you have to be able to recognize these moments and capitalize. And don't let them pass you by. Man, don't let real. them pass you by at all. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't. Uh, thank you for saying that. I feel like I'm in one of those moments right now, man. It's just going good. And um, yeah, a lot of it's right place, right time. Same hustle, same work ethic. I mean, I, I say it, don't get out of line. Because you don't know when they're going to call and let the next batch of people in. Yeah. Um, a lot of people get frustrated and they get out of line. And, Lose their spot. And then they want to get back in line in the same spot. They got to start all the way at the back of the line, the buddy. Yeah. Because your friends that have been waiting in line, and this is what artists don't realize. Your friends that are a little bit ahead of you or even bigger than, or even way big, they've been waiting in this, 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 this hustle line, this music line, for a long fucking time. Oh, yeah. So if you think you're going to hop out of line and then complain how someone way up there ain't pulling you up, that ain't going to, like, you, you have to, <laughs> act 
attractive is attractive. Let me just say that. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people stagnant out here. A lot of people scared to go outside, scared to meet people, scared to talk that shit. We became who we are because we talked that shit. Mm-hmm. We went and met people. I, I wanted to find out how many barbershops are around here, like how many nail salons, how many check cash spots, how many liquor stores, how many high schools. Like I found out there was 330 high schools in the Bay Area. And I'm like, yo, 10 kids per high school, $10. That's fucking 30,000 every time we sneeze. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and like early street team shit, like, like innovators, like more than the stories, I wanted like, we innovated some shit. Like when, yeah. when MP3s came out and these fucking, what are the first things they were called that we played MP3s on from Apple? The, um, the iPods. iPods. So mm-hmm. iPods come out, right? We got Napsters out there. Hell, this shit's moving, right? iPod comes out, they're still selling CDs. That shit ain't popping. No one's got fucking computers and no one's got... Then all of a sudden, kids are popping up with iPods. And my little cousin went to Hayward High and she she comes home with an iPod full of music. And I'm like, what the... How do you... Them shits is a dollar a piece. How'd you do that? And she went, oh man, Larry. $50, Larry, and load your iPod. Mm. I'm like, what? Yeah, load it down. Might have been 20, something like that. And I'm like, What? So that, that was our, I went and found all the iPod loaders in all the schools. Damn. And I was like, what's up, bro? Gary Archer, today's your lucky day. Woo, here's all the this shit, here's all this. Woo, woo. So now when kids would get their iPod back, they would have it already in their shit. That's crazy. Right? Well, which, which in turn, when they had money, they actually go buy the actual stuff. So because at the time, iPods couldn't play on your regular speakers. Right. They didn't have that type of technology. Right, right, right. Man, this shit don't stop, bro. I mean, even right now, there's so many. I love, I love all that shit, though. I love that talk, because you know me, Gary. I go out, and I push, and I promote, and I put paint where it ain't, and I love that type of shit. I love, you know, a lot of, a lot of rap cats, they come from, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think, you wouldn't expect, they come from passing out the flyers. They come from going out on a mission to tape up their own posters. They come from knocking on whatever, whoever got a radio show, whoever's DJing, let me pass you a, a vinyl, let me pass you a USB drive. Like, that's that Bay shit. And I've, I believe that you're never really going to have success in this until you fall in love with the hustle and see it as a creative expression that's hand-in-hand with your art. A lot of cats is like, man, I don't like doing that shit. I don't like, man, I don't like doing it. It's all about content. I don't want to do content. I don't want to do social media. I don't want to go out and say, I don't want to do that. Man, well, the, the next cat who does do all those things is going to beat you every time, man. So you got to fall in love with that shit and say, fuck it. I got a lot of, because this shit is boring to people. Like, I got to fucking look up these emails. And, no, I love that shit. I, I love tapping in. Oh, who, who, who I hit up there? How do I get this? How do, I love DEO, love that shit. That's what we do, man. I mean, it's, there's a lot of people trying to take the same path. And if you're following social media, a lot of people show their trophy ceremonies. Facts. Right? So, Highlight clips. So, Highlight reels. Which is, which is cool, but that's not the movie. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying that no one, no one ever got in a fucking car, bought a ticket, drove across town to see someone because of a song. It's always because of a person. Yeah, man. So you have to find a way to put your person in front of this shit. Yeah. Like I said, your music's the soundtrack to your movie. Yeah. As an artist, you're supposed to have a movie. Now, if you don't want to put a lot of scenes in your movie, you can't be mad at the audience. 
that's that's you know if you ain't a content person that's cool then guess what it, it ain't gonna happen for you yeah. as easy right. can, I, can it still happen yes you better figure out something else but, but if you don't want to do that but there's other things you, you're gonna have to do like, like I tell people the lazier you are the more money you're gonna have to spend well I think another thing is too is like okay yeah we don't buy CDs anymore blah 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 uh, everything's digital motherfuckers gotta understand it's more than the internet the, the type of shit, some of the shit we talking about, these are fundamental universal skills that still apply. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of the, a lot, I see a lot of rap casts now, a lot of the youngsters, no, I'm not trying to be that old head young at the youngsters. But I'm just saying, man, some of them are selling themselves short because the, the same rappers that was around their age that was doing the same numbers as bigger in, in the early 2000s, they was always touring. They was always doing small shows. They was always pulling up at high schools. They was always just doing shit outside, accessible. You see them sliding through. I don't know if that's the same for some of these rappers who think their pathway to success is just getting featured on Thizzler or something like that. I and mean, no disrespect to Thizzler, I'm just saying. Why wouldn't they think that's the way, though? Like, like that's what's laid out for them. And I'm just... And it's just... It's so valuable to... Normal people is so valuable to your music career. And a lot of people wait for someone very important to recognize it. Come on. And I remember that Vaughn wasn't fucking with us until his daughter told him that he, he should be fucking with us. Right. And I remember that was the first time we got to do our interview on KML after the freestyle battle stuff. Um, like, you know what I mean? And just being outside causes people to make a decision. This, this is this is as a music artist or as a businessman on any business, you want decisions being made because in the beginning of your music career, you fall in love with too many maybes. There's a lot of maybes. Someone like I'd rather hear like, oh, it's cool. I'm going to try to get it on. And like when people hit me and if I'm like, oh, record's cool, bro. Stay on me, though. I'll try to get it on. They'll go away. And then I'll see them somewhere. And I'm like, bro, what's up? And they're like, bro, you want to play my stuff? I'm like, bro, you ain't hit me back. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wanting to say that. I just knew that if I wanted someone to do something for me, I have to find a way to make it comfortable. And new artists think that being dope is enough. And all you motherfuckers that are dope out there, bro, I won't believe until I see some dope things. Mm -hmm. Because dope things come with dope. And if you ain't got no dope things, that means two things, bro. That means you're either doing your dope or you going to jail with all the dope in your house, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very uncomfortable. Just sitting there. It's just very uncomfortable, yeah. is what I'm saying. Like, you, mm-hmm. you can't come to me and I'm the first one you want to show your dope to. Yeah. And and I just say that if you got to get used to the no, too many people is scared of the no, too many people is scared to show up unless they get VIP, too many people are scared, yeah. to, all this without a guarantee attached to it because they think that's what's necessary. And I'm telling you that there was so many no's that that led to incredible yeses because we didn't cuss no one out along the way. Yeah. I, like, in this music journey, it's very important to you and understand that's it. That's it. Right. That's it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care what you think. I don't care how great your video is, how great your song is, bro. If the people don't love you, mm-hmm. it don't matter, bro. Mm-hmm. It really don't matter. If people ain't waking up Poland can't wait to listen to your song. That happens because they love you. Yeah. And and that don't happen because you post some song, bro. And that's that's where what I'm saying about falling in love with the business side of it comes in. Because when you look at it that way, instead of looking at it like, oh, I got to do all these tasks, it's like, you know, look at it as how can I make people fall in love with me 
as an artist, as a person, as a brand. How do I do that? And when once you start figuring out those ways, man, this shit gets it starts getting fun, bro. I think it comes from finding people that enjoy your energy and your perspective. And in, in order for that to play out, it has to happen more than once. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and that's why I tell people, I don't, like, find your rhythm, whatever that is, whatever your truth is. Yeah. Find that. It's going to come across if you're being your and, true self. And just be that. And, yeah. and if everyone you run across thinks you're amazing, yeah. then you have to blame yourself. Right. You have to blame yourself. And it's like, we had a burning desire, like a unburning desire of I have to find more people. Yeah. I have to find more people to show it to. Like when Instagram first came out, bro, I'm getting shut down all the time. I'm so like, how many artists have ever got the Instagram and said, bro, you cannot send another message? Mm-hmm. They ain't trying, bro. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. And I tell I tell cash this too, because sometimes I tell I tell certain artists I work with, like, man, just DM your shit to people. Not a spam DM, but just holler at them. Like, people who follow you, people who, who you tap in with, and oh, I don't want to do that. I'm like, bro, you don't think a fucking J. Cole fan would lose his mind to get a fucking J. Cole DM? Like, oh, bro, J. Cole sent me this. I'm definitely clicking this video. He sent me this. That's so tight. I can hit him back, and he'll respond, and all that type of shit. Like, that. that's the, the shit that I, I, I really like. What, what, what like a, lot of, a lot of artists don't realize what this moment's going to turn out to be. And that's what being outside helped me realize that a lot of handshakes to us turned into lifetime memories for people. Yeah. Moments that people wanted to tell the story over and over. And that, again. that's what this shit is about, too. You're bringing, some, you're bringing value to people. You're giving them that, that same essence that you got. You spread it through the music. You spread it through your presence and create these memories, man. And if you make... I just know if you make someone feel good, they're going to want to repeat it. Come on, bro. You know, If you make them feel like shit, too, they're never going to fuck with you again, too. You some game that. my dad gave me early. He said, you... You be nice to a fat girl before school, she'll be bringing you lunch. Mm, that's Without asking. Good game right there. Without asking. Right. And it's because you didn't ask for nothing. You just made her feel cool. And it's like the same principle applies. If you don't understand, if it's hard for you, imagine how hard it is for normal people. Like, give it up to what's going on in this world. So many people going through so much shit and there's so much judgment shit going out there. Like, a lot of our success came from, hey, I see you. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Like, it don't got to be all elaborate. No. Like, like I... Like dregs, I still meet ten to twenty people a day, mm-hmm. purposely. Mm-hmm. I I go out, I look, I seek, and I I tap, yeah. and and I and it's not no five ten minutes. I give them the six seconds. I act like I recognize someone, and I go along that route, and I leave, and then they go to my page and be like, "Holy fucking shit!" Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying that too many people. There's a way to leverage both digital and not right. Yeah, and, and you gotta you gotta do both. I mean, you whatever you're comfortable with. If you're a digital kid, then I better go there and see that's what it is. True. You know what I mean? Like, like if if you're buying new Jordans and you ain't buying flyers with your QR code on that, right, uh, like right, put your right. link tree or whatever you well, want. Well, even if it's digital, I just feel like you got to find some way to translate that into a uh, in-person experience at some point along the line. There's a reason why the artists from the 90s and early 2000s is in the Bay have, I want to say, I don't want to say more substantial, but they're more substantial to the fans because they had tangible items that people yeah. held on to. I would say impactful. Impactful. Yeah. And and we have tangible things, yeah. right? And that's why souvenirs are valuable, right? It's mm-hmm. a tangible something. And music in the space now there's and it's free. So it's hard to create value with that unless they good songs, like I'm not saying like songs are songs. Like that's yeah. great. But the real money is getting someone to come see you. Yep. 
You know what I mean? Put yep. some butts in seats, bro. Yeah. Like, if you could do that, there's money for you forever. Yeah, then you could put a product in front of them, anything, put some merch in front of them. Anything you want. And, yep. and no one's going to buy anything from anyone they don't know. Yeah, facts. Facts, man. Well, Gary, man, I mean, we're going to have to run this back, bro. We're going to have to bring you on here again because I feel like we could talk all night. Um, no, no, no. I appreciate it. Yeah, bro. I think uh, we didn't tell the whole story. I, I'm for sure going to bring you back. Because there's, I know there's so much more. I mean, what it was about. is, you know, like this was today. You said come up here, like, I, like <laughs> I didn't, you know, what I mean, like we're, I'm off the top of my head just thinking of stuff. Right? No, me so too. I, I can imagine if you're like, yo, gee, you know, we did the whole. Here's the set of things I'm trying to cover. Like, but at the end of the day, it's like we don't have to do it like that because we're superstars, and I just we go for that shit, bro. And I appreciate yeah. your time and even invite me up here on, and, and everything you're doing, man. Well, I want to say this too. Uh, as we're talking, I started remembering. Wait, you know what, bro? I've been running into Gary Archer and shaking hands with Gary Archer and saying what's up to Gary Archer on a random different cities in the Bay for, like you said, multiple times until we really did sit down and start building on shit together. And I think, um, you know, from from one to another, like I recognize your, your hustler spirit and it means a lot to me every time that you've stepped in and co-signed what I'm doing or, or you know what I'm saying, shouted me out, played my music, told people about the podcast, commented about the podcast, bro. Like, it's an honor to be locked in with you. And um, I think we're just going to keep building, bro. No, I'm excited. I appreciate it. Like I said, I can't wait to see where it goes. Um, I just want to say a couple things I got going on right now. Please do. Um, I got a young artist named Danny Yell, um, young superstar, born in Vallejo, raised in Portland. Um, superstar shit, superstar shit. Um, D-A-N-I-Y-E-L. Um, also got a radio show I do on Monday nights called The Power Hour. I don't fix records, I break them. Um, I guarantee I play more new records than any other show, all genres. I have a real audience that fuck with me. So if you're an artist, get with me. I've been on there, I can co-sign you know, it. It's get, official. Get with me. Um, I've been doing this a long time, many moons, and I, I love to find amazing. I do. Um, I actually, tomorrow, I'm re recording my first video show, um... I've been asked on a Comcast video show to do my my top five videos. So I'll be doing my uh, the Power Five video show, my top five videos every week. And my segment is going to be played every day of the week. Dope. So if you got a dope video, um, I'm going to try to find them. But I really want people to reach out to me. Hopefully I could play someone I never heard of um, as well. Otherwise, it's just going to be my friends. Right, 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 right. Well, you heard them, people. I mean, get busy. Go find them online. Get, uh, what's Legend Gary Archer? Yeah, Legend Gary Archer. The word legend, the word Gary, and the word Archer. Let's clear this up. A lot of people say legendary Gary Archer. It's not legendary Gary. It's Legend Gary. Legendary Gary's kind of a hard name, though. <laughs> I'm not going to I mean, front. That's, that's dope, too. But, but the word legendary is what gave me the legend Gary, right? right I'm right. like, oh, shit. Then, you know, graffiti shit. You know, we didn't talk about the graffiti groups. I mean, there's a lot of shit that started back then. But So that's what I got going on. Check me out everywhere, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a real live record breaker. I'm a street magician. Facts, man. Facts. And anytime you need my support, I know you know where to reach me. And I know it's vice versa, man. And... Um, 
thank you again, bro, for coming through. No doubt, no doubt. Super cheat code D-Ray, man. I forgot, you know, I, we mentioned her during the thing, but that was another very pivotal cheat code we had. I like that she didn't really mention you during her interview and you didn't really mention her. You know what? Next time I'll bring y'all both on. I mean, just That's like, what we really got to do. We got to get never, them together. We've never played off each other what we did like that. A lot of people didn't even know we were married until like just a lot of people don't know because that wasn't, you know, just that's how many we were. So I'm just saying that it was a cheat code. And and I'm saying that to say that we looked what was around us and tried to find a way to to make it better what we did. And she used to follow us around taking pictures, cause people to say, who's that? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, led us into being part of Showcase Magazine of Take Pictures for the Magazine, yeah, which man. led her into shooting the cover, which led her into shooting everything for Thiz, which led her into having the only pictures of a lot of people during the era before digital film, where now, if anyone was ever in a magazine, national magazine from 1999 to 2007, D-Ray's the one who put your picture in there. Facts. And, it's, and I'm just saying that I'm just glad to be part of an incredible family and, and everyone I'm a part of. You know what I mean? Rest in peace, Mac Dre and Johnny Cash, Pretty Black and all these guys. And um, man, love you, Kilo, Don, D-Ray, Fab. You know what I mean? Dope Air, we out there in Oakland on Broadway. Come check us out. You know what I mean? We got Club Desi's across the street. We got the 90s experience, the Dope Air Museum out there at Jack London Square. We got the Dope Air Academy coming um, yeah, we're just trying to make a difference, man. We're about to do our 19th annual toy giveaway because that'll be out. We got the Jack Experience Art Show coming up. So I know this is going to come out before the end. So that's going to be January 30th through February 4th in Oakland. It's actually going to be the first time, um, I'm going to say, 30 unseen Jack D-Ray pictures. She's actually pulling out a gallery, giant metal prints. It's going to be many, immersive immersive you I'm, better I'm definitely better pulling make up. your way up over there hell yeah we're doing some giant outside you know installations like it's just gonna be so like this ain't gonna be your typical art show thing it's a real experience it's gonna be what you know Jack Jacka deserves and we got the Jacka documentary coming out mm-hmm. um Little Jack doing a big part of that he's playing his dad and a lot is exciting and if y'all don't know Little Jack got music make sure you check that dude out too I love it man shout out to the whole Bay Area community, the whole Bay Area family. There's so much dope shit happening. And we're blessed to cover that here on our podcast, man. The greatest podcast ever in the history of the Bay Area. Shout out to everybody else doing podcasts, but ours is the greatest. History of the Bay, baby. DEO King said, Dregs won. Legendary Gary Archer. Let's go. <laughs> we out, y'all. Peace. Recognize where you got the game We got our own style, got our own slang Northern California is a West Coast thing This is the history of the bank Recognize where you got the game We got our own style, got our own slang Northern California is a West Coast thing This is the history of the bank